0: you're listening to the podcast send me here with you now is host
1: jason sweet what's the count team leader? what's the count yeah, going. Hold it. Yeah. Uh, keep going keep yeah, yeah. going brought to you by socom athlete send me send me
2: thanks for tuning in to socom athlete this is your host jason sweet if you're taking notes feel free to do that as well as hopping down into our chapter section if you're listening in on the Apple version of the podcast. Now, check us out on Instagram. We're so Athlete, as well as YouTube. We just got a brand new channel, and we will be putting this podcast in YouTube form, so subscribe to us on YouTube. Check out our website, socomathlete.com to check out latest announcements and our prep programs, events, and more. If you enjoy our podcast, give us a five-star review. So as you guys know, there's been a bit of a change recently in how people are selected, how contracts work and whatnot, and we're going to be touching on that tonight as well as going over the delayed entry program, talking about recruiting processes, answering questions such as ASVAB score requirements, talking about boot camp, talking about the changes, talking about the ANS course and whatnot. So if you guys have questions, again, put them up in the chat down at the bottom right. So we're going to have a couple different people on tonight. Myself and Connor Matthews, former combat controller, will be the operators that are on tonight. And we also have a few Air Force Special Warfare recruiters on tonight, primarily from the South Florida area. So I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves, starting with Tech Sergeant Rosa, and then Tech Sergeant Spencer will introduce himself. What's going on, gentlemen? Thanks for coming on tonight. If you guys wouldn't mind unmuting your mics and coming on.
3: Awesome. Thank you, Jason, for for this invite. Um... My name, again, is uh, Technical Sergeant Rosa. I'm the Special Warfare Recruiter for uh, South Florida. I cover uh, um, Miami area and Puerto Rico and Virgin Islands. So, um, you know, be free to ask any questions and hopefully we can, um, we can give you some solid answers in, in regards to this. Sorry,
1: All right, hello everyone. I'm doing great. Hey, my name is uh, Technical Sergeant Spencer. I am the Special Warfare Recruiter for the Air Force for Southwest Florida, Tampa and Southwest Florida. I've been in the Air Force for around 12 years, recruiting for about five years. So just like uh, Tech Sergeant Rosa said, we're here to help you guys answer any questions uh, that you may have, especially if you haven't spoken to a recruiter before. And we uh, thank you, Jason, for this opportunity
2: great to have you guys here and thanks for sacrificing your time tonight to be here i know you guys are still working so it means a lot so we got some questions coming in the chats again if you have particular questions go ahead and put them down in the chat via text form and we will get to them as we go so team we're going to go through this chronologically and just kind of start off with the process of recruitment and how that works so obviously you want to go into special operations and you don't necessarily know what career field that you want to go into. You don't necessarily know what the process is, but you know, you want to do it. So at that point, you're going to talk to your recruiter. So I'll kind of let uh tech Sergeant Rosa and tech Sergeant Spencer talk about what that looks like initially, what they're looking for disqualifiers, qualifiers and things like that.
3: Awesome. Um, so, so really uh, the first thing we're going to ask you is, is, um, you know, why you want to, why, why are you interested in, in special warfare? Right. Um, we're gonna ask you some questions about qualifications, just to make sure um, you know we're not wasting our time or you're not wasting yours. Um, usually, those questions, uh, or or usually background stuff. You know, uh, name, where you from, uh, medical questions, qualifiers that that uh, or or disqualifiers. Um, if if you pass what we call our pre-qualifications uh, checklist. Then, um, you know, we'll, we'll, every recruiter does things a little bit different, so I don't want to answer for, for other areas. But um, but then we'll, we'll move on to the next steps um, in regards to, you know, uh, what, what what you're looking to do and, and how we can help you. Um, it really depends on on your interests. You know, we'll, we'll, I usually like to send you send videos and information on, on some of these careers just so you have a little bit of a baseline. Um, some people come in with already that information, knowing what, they, what they're what they interested in, what they want to do. So, uh, Sergeant Spencer, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, at least the, the beginning phase.
1: Yeah, so like uh, Technical Sergeant Rosa said, there is a, a basic structure to how the process works. You know, meeting a recruiter, speaking to a recruiter, meeting a recruiter and pre-qualifying for the Air Force. I really want to stress the pre-qualifying part of the Air Force. You know, we are looking at your age, your citizenship your education level, your dependency, are you married, do you have kids, we're looking at your health history, have you tried any illegal drugs, including so include marijuana, um, how many times, have you had any law violations as a minor or as an adult, and then for our people over the age of 23, or at or 23, we're looking at your credit history, so one thing I stress to people, I have a lot of people hit me up on IG, is, you know, they say, hey, I'm training you know, I've been training. I'm, 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 I'm going to train for a year or so, and then I want to hit up a recruiter. I say, hit up a recruiter immediately. Even if you want to work on your own prerogative and just train before you actually start the program, call a recruiter for a pre-qualification. There has been too many times that I've been doing this job that guys and girls have called me and said, "Hey, I'm smashing the the physical ability and stamina test or the pass," and. I'm ready to go. I got everything in line. And then we find out that there's something in primarily their medical history or their drug history or their law history that makes them completely ineligible to join. There is a difference between being disqualified to join and ineligible to join. 78% of the U.S. between the ages of 17 and 39 are not qualified to join. You know, they're disqualified. Disqualified means we just need to write you a waiver. You need to gather medical documentation. Hey, you sprained you broke your wrist when you uh, seven years ago. We just need to see the documents. You're technically disqualified, but you bring those documents, show you you're, you're well healed, you'll be good to go. But there are things that make you ineligible. So there are people who have trained. I had it around two months ago. A guy trained for a year and a half, contacted me and said he tried a very hard drug other than marijuana. That is completely disqualifying. There's no waivers for that. So I implore you guys reach out to a recruiter as soon as possible, even if you don't want to uh, start your process, you know, at that very moment. So that's the pre-qualification process that I do first and foremost, before I meet up with people.
2: Thank you, Sergeant Spencer. Real quick question. Um, we had a uh, member put a question in the chat about priors. So uh, any prior convictions, what's uh, what's the scoop on that and how you guys go about prior convictions?
1: So when it comes to the law violations, what, what it really comes down to is we ask people, hey, have you ever been charged with any crime from birth till present, even if it was dismissed, expunged, you know, sealed, guilty, not guilty, we need to know about it. The Air Force does not know you as a person. The recruiters do not know you as a person. So we call all violations um, moral where we're judging you on your morals. So all we can judge you on is what you have done in the past. You know, uh, that's what our regulation has us uh, write down. So it really depends on the charge. We classify charges from classes one through five, one being very extreme to murder five category five being simple speeding and traffic tickets. Right. So uh, when you have things that were expunged or dismissed in court, uh, you need to disclose that all to your recruiter so they can tell you, hey, that's fine. You're right at the limit for speeding tickets. Don't get any more. Or no, you're going to need a waiver for that. I need you to get these letters of recommendation, these core documents. Or sorry, you're ineligible. This is too extreme of a waiver for us to write. The most important thing is to be up, up front and straight with your recruiter from the beginning. We are recruiters, not our job to disqualify people. It's our job to interview you, deem you as a good candidate, and do everything that we can to get you in, including uh, writing waivers. But you have to be honest and upfront from the beginning with your past because we will find out eventually.
2: Sergeant Spencer and Sergeant Rosa, you mentioned waivers. Would you mind going into a little bit more detail about what a waiver is and how high of a chance maybe you have to get certain waivers um, for certain things that need pardoning?
3: Awesome. So, so waivers are pretty much is is, is stating, hey, you you may not be qualified right now for the Air Force, right? But we may be able to waiver your, your disqualification to bring you in, right? So, f- for most people, I usually tell them, hey, man, you, you you have to be a solid candidate. You have to be a solid guy. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to trust you personally, right? For me, to pursue to 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 do a waiver, right? So it could be a moral waiver. Uh, Where that person needs to uh, bring court documents, um, you know, fill out, write a letter stating why, the when, the why, the how, they, you know, whatever happened, whatever law violation they did. And then why they want to join the Air Force, why they're the best candidate, why they're, you know, um, they'll be a a solid uh, recruit. So um, it really comes down to they just got to realize that, hey, they're disqualified but we may be able to bring you in if you're, really, if, you're, if you're a solid candidate all around. And it sometimes is the all-around pers- personality. Um, for some guys, I tell them, hey, man, you're going to have to open up to the Air Force, right? Um, but since we recruit for special warfare and a lot of these careers, these careers are a little bit more challenging. So uh, at least for, for our squadron, um, we have a pretty good success uh, rate when it comes to waivers getting approved. But it really depends on, on, on what, the, what, the waiver is, what the waiver is. And I, I want to
1: just plug into what Sergeant Rosa said. You know, I, I, I like to explain to every person. They're like, hey, you know, I had a petty larceny, which is uh, pretty much shoplifting. When I was 13, I'm 24 now. And it was dismissed. The course dismissed it. The course told me I don't even have to mention it on any job applications going further. Like, why do I need a waiver for it? Again, we call them uh, moral violations. You, Yes, of course, you did your volunteer service. You stayed out of trouble for a year. Whatever stipulation that you had to do to get that erased from your record, they at the end of the day, you still did the crime. You still did the crime. You just did things to get it wiped off your record. So the Air Force has to judge your character off of that. Now, the Air Force does understand, hey, youthful mistakes. People make mistakes. I've made mistakes in my past. We learn from it. So when I meet someone, what I'm looking for is, hey, you made this mistake. Sometimes the, the best things we learn in life are from making dumb, dumb mistakes. So what we look for is like, hey, you made a mistake. You learned from it. You stayed out of trouble after that hey, I mean someone like that, I'm, I'm going to work with you to get that waiver. So just because you had something in the past and it was dismissed or expunged or sealed in your records and we're telling you you need a waiver does not mean don't pursue the Air Force. We understand we make youthful mistakes. Have you stayed out of trouble? You've, you've walked a uh, good line, a straight line ever since? Then any recruiter is going to help you uh, through your process to join.
2: Sergeant Spencer, Sergeant Rose, real quick, as far as uh, medical waivers. So let's say somebody uh, tears their ACL playing football in high school, their sophomore year, and it's been seven years since the surgery. They feel like they're good to go. What do they have to do to get a waiver for that? And can they get a waiver for something like
3: an ACL or meniscus? Surgery? So, so when it comes to medical, that's pretty much out of our hands, right? So that's during the process of going to the military entrance processing station. The thing about the medical stuff You know, Sergeant Rosa is
1: is right, as usual, that I have people call and say, hey, I'm looking for a recruiter because my recruiter doesn't want to do his job and run a medical waiver for me or approve my waiver. That is not in our power. We literally work as liaisons between you, the candidate, and the military, the military interest processing station. The military interest processing station says, Oh, he had an ACL surgery. We want to see x rays. We want to see physical therapy. We want to see pre op, surgical, post op. I say, okay. Hey, this is what the CMO wants to see. You get me those documents? Thank you. I give them to the CMO. It's a lot of back and forth. The recruiters are just in between. We naturally, for the career fields we recruit for, we deal with a lot of athletes, a lot of student athletes who have had meniscus, you know, ACLs. shoulder injuries, all all types of things. So it is pretty common, but the reason it's not a problem for us to run waivers is because you're the one doing all the work. You are the one who is reporting what your injury was. Our chief medical officer is saying, okay, we want all these documents. You're getting the documents, you're bringing them to us and we're just submitting to to the chief medical officer at MEPS. Now, something to note, if you get disqualified, you bring all those documents, and the chief medical officer disqualifies you, you are not only disqualified for the Air Force, you are disqualified by for every branch of the US military, every single branch. The MEPS, the Military Interest Processing Station does not work for the Air Force. It's not called the Air Force Processing Station or Marine Processing Station or Space Force Processing Station. It's military insurance processing. Their job is to assess you regardless of what branch you're going into, the doctor's there for military accessions. The moment that you put on the military uniform, the US government has to pay for everything that happens to you once you have that uniform on for the rest of your life. So those doctors are charged by the DOD to make sure that we are not enlisting people who are a liability, okay? You know, if you had a major injury prior, hey, you might, that might come back some intense training and now we have to pay for it so that is why i know some of you i'm sure some of you here are going through the medical process you know and maybe have been disqualified by meps but each branch has their own surgeon general the surgeon general is the only one who can say hey meps chief medical officer i know you said this guy is disqualified but i as an air force uh doctor wants to take this guy or girl if that happens you're good to go you go through MEPS again, you swear in, and you're part of the process.
2: So one of the things that, that comes with MEPS, obviously, is is the chance to be a disqualifier. And so what Sergeant Spencer said earlier about talking to a recruiter as soon as possible, one of the advantages of that is that you will know right away if you are a disqualifier. Because in the past, we're talking four plus years ago, you didn't go to MEPS first. You would put in all this time with your recruiter and then you would go to MEPS. It would be the last thing you do before you ship out. And so maybe the recruiter would invest all this time in you and then you would be a disqualifier. Well, that's not the case anymore. You go to MEPS first so that you will know whether or not you're a qualifier or disqualifier and can press on with the delayed entry program. And then once you get into the delayed entry program, you'll be able to get developed, train, work on your past test scores, et cetera. So I'll let these guys talk a little bit uh, more about what the delayed entry program is and how that works if you pass Meps.
3: All right, so so what happens is after you know we get you all qualified, you go to Meps. Um, when you go to Meps, you're expected to you know especially if you qualify for any of the special warfare careers, you're expected to swear in. Once you swear in, you're you're swearing into what we call the delay the delayed entry program. Um, during that period, all the delayed entry program is is your time from from making the commitment to joining the Air Force to the time you're leaving to uh, basic training, right? So the delayed entry program re- really is that in-between phase of, hey, I'm qualified for the Air Force, and at least for the special warfare side. Now I have to make sure I qualify for, for either special warfare, C, or EOD, right? And once you qualify for any of those careers fully, right, with, with your past tests and, and we feel like you're ready to, to ship out, then that's where, uh, that's when you get a date to leave. And then it could be a month down the road, it could be two months down the road, it could be three months down the road, depending on where you're at and when, when, when those ship days are. But um, the delayed entry program is just something, it's kind of like a waiting period for you to get, get a job, right? And that goes for special warfare, but it also goes for regular recruiting too. So uh, with regular recruiting, most careers are projected out three to four months out. And that's kind of like your waiting period. Um, Everybody makes an eight-year commitment, right? So that within that eight-year commitment, you sign up. You know, we're talking for at least active-duty side. You sign up for four or six years, and the remaining time is what we call inactive ready reserves. Now, while you're in the delayed-entry program, you already started that inactive ready reserves time frame. So when you do, if you do decide to get out after your four years or six years you may only have like a year and a half of that commitment for inactive ready reserves. So just, just another thing to add on that.
2: There's a couple questions in here in the chat about guard and reserve air force, special warfare. So, Let me go ahead and tell you guys that these recruiters in particular are active duty recruiters. If you are looking to go guard or reserve Special Warfare, you will contact those individual units. So let's use the Special Tactics Squadron, for example. They're located in Louisville, Kentucky. You would contact their unit directly, and they have tryouts. Generally, they're quarterly tryouts, so they'll have about four a year. And those tryouts will generally incorporate the AFSOC test or the traditional AFSOC test. That's a three-mile run, 1,500-meter swim, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups for time, and then you hang around, do some water confidence, and then you'll do an actual interview. But again, you have to contact that unit directly. So don't hit up these recruiters asking about Guard and Reserve, okay? That's that's not what they're recruiting for. Uh, To one more thing about Guard and Reserve, um, para-rescue in particular, if you go through a a, uh, rescue squadron, as they're called, okay, There are only PJs at rescue squadrons. So if you were to go through the 306 rescue squadron out of Tucson, Arizona, or the 308th rescue squadron out of um, Cocoa Beach, Florida, Patrick Air Force Base, you cannot go through the SWOEV program and then not get get told that you are not going to be a PJ. You can't get told that you're going to be special reconnaissance and then go back to your PJ team and be special reconnaissance. So that's still some gray area that things are trying to get worked out. So as far as those questions go, we're not going to take those types of questions tonight, but just know that the uh moral of the story is that if you are interested in guard or reserve, pararescue, combat control, or TAC P, TAC P only has guard, you contact the units individually. So back to the delayed entry program. Uh, Sergeant Spencer, did you have anything to add on the delayed entry program in general, what the benefits are for that, what they're gonna be doing?
1: Uh yes, sir. So the delayed entry program, or what we call it in special warfare as our special warfare development program, is probably why I love my job and love what I do and why it's so unique. Um, this is the point where, if you're accepted into special warfare development, you have met the requirements, you have met the ASVAB requirements, you've made it through the mundane process and admin part of MEPS and sitting and waiting for a very long physical. And now your job is just to train with your special warfare developer. So we have a company called T3I, which is made up of a cadre, which is a group of instructors who are all retired or experienced operators in combat combat support airmen, EOD and SEER. Their job, the majority of Air Force special warfare recruiters are not operators or combat support airmen. There are some, but we were chosen for this position for other reasons, you know, our job is to scout and recruit and to process. So our special warfare development program, your job is to live, breathe, and eat training and getting guidance from an actual expert in the field with years of experience to get you to the point where you are passing the physical ability and stamina test to pass. Okay, so I know in my program, we meet weekly for uh, pool training, you know, water confidence. They meet their developer here at my program around four times a month for run training and strength training and everything. The nice part about it is, uh, you know, it's been proven that when you work out with another person, your output and results are plus by two. It's a 200% difference than working by yourself. So I know a lot of you guys are working out, and your friends who are working out, they're just working out for, I'm in Florida, they're working out for biceps and chest, just have some beach muscles. But you guys are the ones who are showing up with, you know, a full face mask a snorkel and jet fins, and everyone's looking at you like, what the heck is this guy doing? So that's what's great about the Special Warfare Development Program. You're learning from an actual experienced person in the field, and you are training with a group of 5, 10, 20, or 25 other people who are training for the same thing as you. And most importantly, or very importantly, the people who are in that Special Warfare Development, you will be spending upwards... Uh, some of them you you will be spending the next two years of your life with we're talking four to five months in special warfare development two months in BMT and special warfare flights two months in special warfare prep a month in assessment and selection and then on to the pipeline if you're selected so that is you know what special warfare development looks like it's a great it's a great program to get actually to learn what you need to pass the the stamina test, but also to prepare you for assessment and selection or the next step in your process, which is gonna be special warfare prep. And then we give the reins over to those guys. We don't try to overstep as recruiters or developers. We just try to get you ready for that next step and let those cadre and instructors take over from there.
2: Sergeant Spencer, two questions. Number one, would you mind talking a little bit more about the physical assessment and stamina test 1.5 mile run 500-meter swim, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups for time, two by 25-meter mm-hmm. underwaters. And then would you mind talking about what you guys are looking for or maybe what T3I is looking for as good numbers before people actually go through, right? So we have the minimum numbers,
1: mm-hmm. which is,
2: what, 40 push-ups, uh, 50 sit-ups, eight pull-ups. Mm-hmm. But what are you guys really looking for, right? Would you mind answering those two questions? Yeah, no you?
1: problem. I know people get confused on the physical ability and stamina tests, and from here forward, I'll call it the past. Uh, standards, because in the last year it changed, I believe, four times, just to keep up with all the changes, the rapid changes in special warfare. But the about a year, a year and a half ago, the test switched completely. So now we start with calisthenics: pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, a mile and a half run, and we end with the swim. Uh, so your pull-ups. We're going to talk the bare minimums right here uh, for pull-ups. The standard is eight uh, eight pull-ups within a minute. You know, a two minute break, we go into sit ups. The minimum is 40. This is all special warfare, by the way, TACP, SR, PJ, and CCT. Two minute break, uh, three minute break, two minutes. And then we go into the push ups. And then a 10 minute break, and we go on the 1.5 mile run, which has to be completed in 10 minutes and 20 seconds or less. After that, you have a 30 minute break, and you begin your 225 meter underwaters at three minute intervals that three minutes means from the moment you kick off of the wall and you swim to the end of that meter pool to your recovery freestyle swim back the clock is still running that is your three minutes and then we end with a 500 meter swim which in a meter pool if you find it is going to be 10 laps there and back is one most of you guys are going to be swimming in a yard pool that seems to be more standard for any type of public pools so we had you swim about 11 laps, and that's what you should be doing, you know, shooting a little bit over. So that's... Yeah, team, that's...
2: team, real quick, if you're taking notes, make sure that you write that down. I would say that 75-plus percent of the pools that we conduct our tests in are yard pools. So make sure the first thing you do when you get to the pool is ask the lifeguard, how what's the distance in this pool, yards or mm-hmm. meters? Because, again, if you're doing a meter test, you're doing 11 laps. And a lot of you guys, you know about the SEALs and the Navy. They do yards where the Air Force does meters. So, again, write that down. Back to you, Sergeant Spencer. Yeah, please.
1: great point. You know, it surprises a lot of people, uh, especially for the underwaters so when we tell them to touch the wall and flip around and go a little bit more. And then what we're looking for, you know, for T3I, our development company, the standard is you should be at least, at least 75% of the SWOE standards, right? You, you know... Um, if the minimum is 40, uh, ups I'd like to see you at around, you know, 30, 28, something like that. If, uh, yeah, 30, if the standard is 50 sit-ups, I'd like to see you, we'd like to see you around, you know, 42, 43, you know, eight sit-ups. We'd like to see you at, I mean, eight pull-ups. We'd like to see you at around, you know, maybe four or five. What people have to understand is, You do not need to be at the physical ability and uh, stamina test standards to speak to a recruiter. You don't need to grind until you're crushing the standards and be at old graduation standards to meet a recruiter. All we're seeing is that you are at a certain physical point. Now, that being said, that is the base standard to enter development. When I have phone interviews with people, that's my first step because I cover such a large area in Florida. I rarely, if ever, ask them what they're physically at because I'm going to see that anyway when I meet up with them and run them through a pre-screen before they meet my developer to save them time, me time, and the candidate. I'm more interested in the mental part. There are many times you ask what I'm looking, what we look for. There are many times I had around three of those phone calls today where I said, okay, what is your why? Why do you want to do this career field? You know, it just seems cool. Okay, why does it seem cool? You know, I don't know, it just seems fun. Okay, what's fun about it? You know, that kind of worries me because it tells me you haven't done much deep independent research about this. And yes, I'm a a recruiter. I'm here to give as much information as possible to you about this, but I can give you a profile of my people who have been very successful. And they're wise, why not? Um, Maybe not super deep, but it's something that they cannot find in other career fields. And that's what the main thing I look for is the mental part. The physical, we can build up calisthenics quick. Our developers are top of the line. They can get your push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups up quick. They can teach you how to run more effectively. They can perfect your strokes in swimming, which is all about form, as you know, you know, Jason. But the mental part, if you're lacking there, if your motivations are wrong, as a recruiter, that's where I say, okay, let's let's pause there. So I don't want to tell guys you know, exactly what I'm looking for so you can kind of tell your recruiter what you think they should hear. But I'll say this for you to just evaluate yourself. When I find those guys and girls who tell me, I want to do this job. Someone told me today they want to be an EOD tech, not because it was just cool or they love blowing things up. They told me I want to be an EOD tech because... When I watch the news and see these these, uh, service members over there trying to protect us in this country, and we have cowards daring bombs in in bushes and underground, and not letting that husband, father, brother, whatever, come home, I want to be the one who actually goes there and makes sure they're safe. I love that more than any guy who can do 18 pull-ups, because even if that guy can only do four pull-ups, He has such a deep why inside of him. He is going to do all work possible to do it. So to sum it all up, that's what I look for. Personally, I look for the mental and our our developer, 75% of SWOE uh, standards. That was kind of long. I'm sorry. Uh,
2: No problem, Sergeant Spencer. We're going to rewind real quick. We got a couple questions. Great question is, do the ASVAB scores get considered in choosing the career field that is best for these students in the V program.
3: Um, so so right now the standard is for PJ's combat controllers special reconnaissance and TAC-B the 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 baseline standard for ASAB is 49. So in reality I don't there's there's I don't know if that's something that's influenced in, 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 in their selection, but it's not, it's not like a regular, um, what we used to call aptitude area where that as is included depending on, 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 on certain careers. But since all four career fields are on that same level, when it comes to ASVAB, I don't, I don't think it makes a difference. Um, but that's, that's pretty much my opinion on that end. I just wanted to add something real quick to, uh, um, to the delayed entry program and development and all that um air force we air force came up and uh we had a, this we have this form called the form five right and that form right now got approved to you to to be utilized before um before people actually swore in and are part of the delayed entry program so the what what i do i usually use that as a as as a as long as they fill out that form, they go see a doctor, they get approved physically. That's a good tool to see if this, if these careers are something they want to do so they can show up to a workout before even starting the whole process. um, And then we can evaluate them legally. Right. And, and see if this, see if it's something they want to really do and they're willing to put in the work for, or see if, if, you know, if they're uh, a, a good recruit for us. So I just wanted to add that on, on, that's a, That's a new uh, resource we've been using for the past maybe six months. Hey, and on the ASVAB
1: as well, uh, like Sergeant Rosa said, that 49 is not, hey, if you got a 49 on the ASVAB overall, you qualify for special warfare. What he means is the general, what he said earlier was a subsection. In the general section of the ASVAB, you need to have a 49. That is not your overall score. So I know we have maybe some people in here who may have been interested, who have their ASVAP score that they took with other career fields. You will not know that score unless it's translated into the Air Force. Okay, so you can have an overall ASVAP score of 71 or 61, but your subscore in the G area, which we look for for special warfare, may be 44. So that's something you need to reach out to an Air Force recruiter ASAP and say, hey, I've taken the ASVAB, can you look at my SUP scores or translate them over, which is one form. It's super easy, it takes 24 to 48 hours. And we'll tell you straight up, like Sergeant Rosa said, if you qualify for these careers.
2: Thank you. And Sergeant Spencer said something very important earlier, guys, and that is, Choosing the career field, having a solid why, and having some type of passion about it and doing your research, understanding what career field that you want to do. So I want to bring Connor Matthews on here for a second. Connor is a former combat controller. He's a pro MMA fighter, and he's actually sponsored by Air Force Special Warfare. I'm going to let Connor talk a little bit about what inspired him to become a combat controller and what they're looking for in their career field as far as a candidate and their why so why would i want to be a combat controller connor can touch on that a little bit what's going on connor thanks for coming on man hey what's going on
0: guys how's everybody doing i know you guys can't answer me but
2: um yeah so
0: for like the why i mean for me i think the why changed definitely from when i got in from when i started why i thought i wanted to do the job as a combat controller into where i'm at now once i got in and and I didn't really expect that. I kind of was like, well, everybody, I heard you say something, but everybody wanted to do something that, you know, that was cool. is just a cool job. But really, when you get into it, you can realize it's a lot more than that. It's not just about, you know, uh, doing a cool job. It's about like the community and like the brotherhood you're going to get within the career field. That's like, and you're working, you're working with top quality people just on the fact that like, um, you know, it takes a lot to make, to be a combat controller or any PJ or any S, um, special reconnaissance, any of these jobs takes a lot to be that kind of place. So they weed out the people that are not going to really, not going to make it, but it doesn't mean that, no, anybody, you know, you, you shouldn't attempt to try to make it, you know what I mean? But I'm just saying, you're going to end up realizing you, it's one of the best communities. I end up getting out to chase a dream, to be a professional MMA fighter something. I've always been doing my entire life. And I just kind of want to get back into it. Cause I did everything I wanted to do it within the job, but it's definitely something. Um, my, my idea when I first got to what, what, what it was going to be like was actually totally different. And I think it's, if you guys do go into these career fields, you're going to realize the juice is worth the squeeze, man. You, I mean, you end up working with the best, you know, best dudes in the world, um, really good community. Um, the job is awesome too. I mean, um, just depending on what you do, all the, for me, all SR, uh, combat control. I mean, I've I worked a little bit of PJs and done too much. And I mean, all the jobs have been really awesome. Um, any particular, I, I mean, I can't really think of anything particular. If you guys have any particular questions, feel free to shoot them and ask me.
2: Yeah, great, Connor. Would you mind putting your contact info on there and how you want people to contact you, whether it be on Instagram or email, whatever it is? Uh, All yeah. right, yeah, uh, right now. And to touch a little bit of, about on that, guys, you know, a lot of you generally came to this program because you wanted to be SEALs and you saw some movie about Navy SEALs and that's what attracted you to special operations in general. And then you started looking into it and you found other career fields. And so that's when the why really comes into play. In myself, I had looked into being a Navy SEAL first and then God led me into pararescue through an interesting set of circumstances, but ultimately because my dad was a PJ. And I didn't necessarily think that being a medic or doing something like that was going to be what was meant for me. However, there was a lot of things that went into that career field that ended up being perfect for me. And one of those was being a part of the community and being a part of that pararescue culture. That culture was awesome for me. And another thing was that it taught me how to be humble. Everyone knows what a Navy SEAL is. Nobody knows what a combat controller is. Nobody really knows what a PJ is, unless you're getting on here and researching it, right? I'm talking about your average grandmom or your average person on the street. So it helps you become a quiet professional understanding that you're not going to wear that on your sleeve and you're not going to go out there and advertise that you're an operator. You're a quiet professional and you take care of your business. So being a pararescue man, I didn't really know a lot about it. I just knew that my dad had done that job. And when I thought about it, all I thought was medicine, but being a PJ is so much deeper into that. And it's about being a rescue specialist and a recovery specialist, but it's very hard to know those kinds of things until you're exposed to an operator, until you're exposed to what the career field is like. And that leads us, into this special warfare operator enlistment vector program, which is designed to help channel candidates into the career field. that's not necessarily just what they want to do, but what they're meant to do. And I know one of the biggest questions that you guys have is if I have a career field that I want to do, will I have any choice on that? So let's say you were to take me and put me um, 10 years fast forward, right? A guy whose dad was a PJ, wanted to be a PJ, joined the Air Force to be a PJ, didn't want to do anything else except for that. The big question is now, with the Special Warfare Operator Enlistment Vector Program, can you still have some say after you get done with the ANS course or the Special Tactics Guardian Angel course, whatever you guys want to call it, do you have say in what your career field is going to be? And the answer is yes, you do have say because while you're going through this program, Preference is going to be number one in evaluation. However, in order to get preference, you have to have performance. And the performance comes down not just to the physical performance, but also your academic performance, and how you interact with other people. Special operations is a team environment, so everything that you're doing is around other teammates. So communication is the primary factor. If you have weird character traits or you're socially awkward or you struggle communicating with other people, start working on that. Ask somebody if they can analyze you and give you some critiques on how you communicate. Work on your leadership abilities, right? Those are some things that you can start being aware of as well. So back to some of the questions in the chat. We've had a lot of questions about cross-trainees. So Sergeant Rosa and Sergeant Spencer, would you guys mind touching a little bit on The cross-trainee process, um, there's obviously a limited amount of slots. Um, There's some questions on whether or not you can declare the job that you want beforehand or whether or not you have to go through the SWOEV program. Would you guys mind touching on some of those questions that you're seeing in the chat?
1: Well, currently, the SWOEV process does not apply to officer candidates, uh, retrainees, and prior servicemen who are joining again. So those people will you know, pursue a certain career field, a certain slot, and their application process is a lot different. There is no special warfare uh, preparatory course for them. They go through a phase one and phase two application process. Phase one uh, that we hold a couple times a year, we'll be putting together your, you know, your resume, getting together your past scores, you know, and uh, submitting that to our car service board. And then, if you are selected from there, we bring you to Florida for Phase Two, which is a week-long selection process. You know, just to make sure you are that candidate that that they are looking for. It's a, just some quick history on that. You know, for a very long time, the U.S. Air Force—we we're talking big Air Force—had, you know, uh, one October. We go by fiscal years. You know, retraining positions open, and it was it was people who got out of the air force it was people who joined the army marines navy and realized dang i really wish i would have joined the air force that was your time to apply well normally within a month all those slots were gone because a lot of people want to join the air force so the only option for a very long time was to come in hey trial for spec ops you know at the time or be a battlefield airman so for a very long time prior servicemen You know, they serve, they know how the government, you know, works. They basically worked out to a level where they can gain a contract for one of these career fields. Then they went to the selection and they quit with first day or a couple days later. And then they figured, hey, the Air Force isn't gonna get rid of me. This was basically a back door into getting into the Air Force. Well, it didn't take long for us to realize what was going on. So we said, you know, we're not going to do this. We need to evaluate our prior servicemen, our retrainees and cross-trainees to make sure they want to do this position. So we uh, started phase two. Also, the thing about phase two, guys ask, like, why do I have to go through all this when new guys aren't going through it? Well, typically when someone retrains or cross-trains or is prior service, they have served. You know, they have some unique leadership abilities and training and schooling that someone who is straight out of high school or the streets, as we say it, will not have. If Johnny shows up, a high school graduate, and goes through the pipeline and he quits, typically the only person that he'll take with him is Timmy, his best friend through basic training and, you know, through prep. You know, he gets demoralized. He may just take them. What we've noticed is when you have that staff sergeant or that senior airman or that technical sergeant who is going or the guy who served five years in the Marines and then switched over, when that person quits, what our numbers have shown, and you probably have seen this in your program, you know, Jason, um, you see five, six, or seven other guys leave. Because they say, well, wow, that guy was in the military. That guy was our team leader, and he quit. So that's what the phase two is for. It's, it's to make sure that you have all the qualities uh, that will ensure that you will actually physically and mentally make it through the program. So phase one, phase two for those candidates.
2: Great info, Sergeant Spencer. I just wanna give some personal um, information and a personal opinion on cross trainees. I get asked a lot by older candidates, whether or not I think that they're at an advantage or a disadvantage for being older. Well, here's what I'll say to that. We all know that the older you get, things slow down, you get out of your prime, you start groaning whenever you bend over to pick stuff up, everything starts snapping and popping. Okay, so we know that, right? But as you get older, you also get more mature. I think that you get a little bit more analytical and that can be a positive thing, especially from a leadership perspective and from a planning perspective, obviously mission planning, game planning, things like that. Now, one thing I will say that I've noticed about older candidates is that analytical trait that you pick up when you get older can sometimes be a negative thing. And what I mean by that is in special operations, sometimes things don't make sense. You just have to dive in. Jumping out of an airplane, if you look at the core of it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you have to jump out of that airplane without even thinking about it, right? You just go. And so one thing I would challenge you guys to do that are a little bit older is try to get rid of a little bit of that analytical thinking and get better at just being more gung-ho because one of the things that they're assessing at the a course is your grit, and your ability to just go for something, right? Be the point man. If people want to cross a river and they're tiptoeing in the water and say, man, that's cold, who's gonna be first? You're the first one that goes in, right? That's really what we're looking for. Be gung ho, don't let your age hold you back. Um, phase two cross trainees, is there a limited number of slots, Sergeant Spencer?
1: Uh, so with that, hmm, this is, remember the special warfare offer uh special warfare recruiters are only, we started in 2017. So we're about two and a half years old. Yeah, years old now. So there's been a lot of changes uh, with things, especially with our uh, selection program for prior service. Right now, I'm not pretty, I'm not too sure on the actual number, but what I can do is find that out, get that information to you so you can send it out uh, to guys, unless Sergeant Rosa knows. I'm not sure on that. I, I, I don't think comments. it's been a problem for anyone who is meeting the requirements. I think it, there's never been a, a a problem with people actually getting in. I think it's more on the applicant side, making sure that they, one, qualify, and two, have a competitive application, meaning, you know, they have very strong numbers on the past tests, you know, good ASVET scores, leadership experience
3: and stuff like that.
2: Roger. Do you have yeah, any right. information on the face? Too go go ahead, Sergeant Rosa.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, so um, just to add on that, um, I, I Air Force will, will always have like a certain amount of slots for th- different things, right? But uh, I think with prior service, um, if the candidate is good and he's solid, um, they'll they'll try to get him a slot. You know, it's it's just one of those things. Uh, it, it may it may take a little bit. It may take a few more months or whatever. But they're gonna try to um you know open open up the doors for that for that candidate um if they're if they're solid, right? So it really depends on on the actual uh recruit um you know and and if, if they're worthy to 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 come back in.
2: Okay, moving on. So the SWOE V process, as you guys may have read or seen in the YouTube videos, this process will start with the delayed entry program and it will start at basic training so typically in the past at least when i went through you didn't get a lot of time when you were at basic training to train so you would get significantly out of shape but now they're actually giving candidates time to train while you're at basic training right so whether you get a little bit of pool time throughout the week a little bit extra run time calisthenics they'll try to continue to help keep you stay in shape right and then after you get done with basic training you'll move on to the special warfare prep course and Sergeant Rosa, Sergeant Spencer, can either of you guys talk a little bit about the Special Warfare Prep course and what those guys are expected to do, uh, some of the benefits of the course, the human performance program, how they're going to get taught to swim, get beefed up, things like that?
1: The Special Warfare uh, Prep course is, I mean, just amazing. I always describe it as, you know, we remember those Gatorade commercials where you see people hooked up, you know, with a bunch of sensors and like the scientists in lab coats, you know, by the side of them on computers that's literally what special warfare prep is you know guys and girls are being your job from wake up to sleep is to have a team of human performance specialists around you to optimize and get you to your top physical and now mental level we're talking olympic swim coaches olympic run coaches nfl strength trainers dietitians uh personal trainers a lot of uh, top of the line equipment, but for two months, that is the goal. You know, in the past, probably when you went, when, definitely when you went through uh, Jason, you just met a recruiter. Said, I want to be pararescue. Okay. Pass this test. All right. You leave in two months, went to basic training, boom, you're in it. You're in indoctrination course. Good luck. You know, what special warfare prep allows us to do is not only have all of these fitness specialists around you to optimize your physical ability but we're also surrounding you with people who actually have experience in the career field you know so you're not just using youtube and your recruiter to make a decision on what you want to do and i won't go too far into that you know because we said talking about soy v what about you sergeant rosa no
3: no i mean you, you you hit it on the nail man um the air force has spent a lot of money to bring all these athletic trainers to pretty much uh, prepare all these, all the candidates, um, you know, uh, mentally, physically, um, you know, and, the, and it's eight weeks of straight up, you know, working out and, 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 and building your body, building your strength, building, you know, giving you pretty much a, the best opportunity you have to, to succeed in, in the next steps, which will be the pipeline, right? Um, at least on the physical end and, and, and a little bit on the mental end. Um, but that's pretty much what it, what it's there for, man. Like, like, like Sergeant Spencer said before, we we'll just throw you in the fire. You know, you go to basic training, you, you really lo- lost a lot of your, whatever training you were doing before. Um, and then you thrown in the fire to, to, to go to indoc, Right. And, and, you know, then just, just the, the, the a select few will make it, you know, through, you know, and, and, and now we give you, we're giving a lot more people uh, a better chance, a better fight, right. Where they're not getting injured as fast or, or, you know, or, or, or have just a better chance to to succeed. That's really what it comes down to. It's a fun course. Um, you know, you're going to learn a lot of, a lot of different things from, from uh, dieting to the proper way to sleep. And I mean, there's so many things the way I look at it, I'm a really big Rocky fan. Um, so I don't know if you ever seen Rocky before, but pretty much it's kinda of like the Russian training, you know, they have all these guys surrounding Russian and he has all these different gadgets on him. Well, that's pretty much you know how how I look at special war prep where we're putting all these machines to just collect data on you. So it's pretty cool. It's even drago.
2: Mm-hmm. And really what it comes really what it comes down to is in the past you would see candidates that would come through that had it mentally, but they had never been taught how to swim before. And they washed out of the program and probably could have been great operators. So the idea behind special warfare prep course is to take somebody that has it up here and make sure that they're beefed up and ready to go physically before the actual assessment and selection course starts. In addition to that, you'll be getting career-based information so you can learn a little bit more about the career fields. You'll be learning how to pack out a ruck you'll have fins on regardless of whether you're TACP, p cct pj hopeful everyone will have fins on be swimming in the pool it really is a great course and we've heard a lot of great things we actually have six students there right now and they've said a lot of good things too they're rocking and rolling even though uh times are crazy so any questions about the prep course in general you guys can put that up on the chat but again keep in mind uh, we are recruiters in here and then I'm a former operator. So we're not working at the prep course and can't answer super specific questions. So just kind of flowing on, um, I guess the the next questions that we're addressing, we still got more cross-trainee stuff here, guys. So can cross trainees participate in the delayed entry program? Um what do you guys so the answer,
1: answer is no. So uh, our contract with our stellar developers, T3i, is for active duty candidates and active duty candidates only, you know, because we're active duty recruiters. So what I tell all cross-trainees, retrainees, I've had a few call me. I'm next to McDale Air Force Base, you know, next that's where SOCOM is and stuff. So I have a lot of guys call me who want to retrain into this. And I think they just call me because they're like, hey, I joined to be a recruiter. I mean, if I, I spoke to a recruiter to join. I should probably speak to a recruiter again. Uh, you speak. For Air Force, if you're Air Force prior service or retraining, cross-training, you should be speaking to your career assistance advisor. That is who on base you need to speak to. Say, hey, these, this is my plan. I would like to go into Air Force Special Warfare, and your base career assistance advisor will, will walk you through the entire application process and, and all that stuff. It is not done with a special warfare recruiter unless you get out of the military. And are looking to join again, or if you are in another branch of service and looking to join the Air Force, then you work with the Special Warfare Recruiter.
2: Great And Kaisho and Austin had the question, Ah. do cross trainees participate in Special Warfare Prep course? The answer is no, uh, they do not participate in the Special Warfare Prep course. However, um, Tech Sergeant Rosa, Tech Sergeant Spencer, do you guys know if cross trainees go to the ANS course?
1: Yes, they do, 100%. I I think I asked, answered Kaisho's question with that. You know, it's just different. It's different. You've been in the Air Force or you've been in the military, you've been privy to certain facilities that a lot of our brand new recruits have not had. You know, the path of least resistance into Air Force special warfare is straight from the get go. You know, I have people who say, hey, I want to, I'm just going to take a regular job and then cross train afterwards. If you really want to pursue this, take you know go from, uh, from the beginning with it. There is talk of some prior services, prior service going to something called wing development, and they get about a, a week or so of working while they wait for assessment and selection to start. But overall, no, do not expect special warfare prep. You should be prepared for selection after your selection
3: from phase two to go in there and rock it.
2: Copy. Text, Rosie, you had something.
3: Um, just to go back on um, on some of the cross trainees uh, when I when I used to recruit over there in Arizona and Tucson and De- Davis mothin there would be a lot of guys. Um, when I did my my weekly workouts, um, I would invite some of the the, the 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 active duty members to 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 come out and and talk to my candidates, but um, but I will also invite them to work out with us too, man. So as long as it's not of an official pass test or, or an official uh, setting where, where there's a pass test or something like that, you know, every recruiter is different, but I used to have my guys work out, work out with us because they, you know, they they brought something to the table on, on influencing my candidates too. So, um, so if, if, if any of these guys are, or, you know, at an air force base and, you know, just find that local special warfare recruiter and, and, and and sometimes it helps out to work out with with other guys separately, you know, with some of the candidates on a separate on separate occasions, you know, where they can use the base facilities, um, or do things on on the side. So, uh, I, I recommend just contacting that special warfare recruiter and and seeing if if you know he if he's willing or if she's willing to, you know, help out at least on that sense.
2: Great. Okay, so let's go ahead and open it up to general questions, team. We have about. 20 minutes left in here. So what I'm going to have you guys do is if you have questions, instead of uploading them in the chat, go ahead and show your face, come off mute and ask the question via video.
1: Hey, so I had a question. Is that all right if I ask it now?
2: Yeah, go ahead, Eli.
1: All right. So for those of us that don't live anywhere near a special warfare recruiter office, this goes to the recruiters. Would it be worth it? to travel somewhere closer to the office so that we can join a development group and get some more progress going? I mean, uh, worth it and our requirement are synonymous with each other. So here in Tampa, I used to do special warfare recruiting in New York, in upstate New York. And I would every day get in my car and drive around two hours to meet my guys who would drive about an hour and a half to two hours and meet me at a gym. We'd work out and then I would go off and that would be my entire day. Uh, Here in Florida, I have some people who live near Tampa. You know, they have an easy drive and by easy drive, I mean within 45 minutes and then I have people who live two and a half hours. You know, there are 1500 regular Air Force recruiters in the Air Force and I think currently we keep getting new people in and people leaving. You know, going into bases. But I think we have around 80 something, 90 special warfare recruiters nationwide. So, I mean, how far are you currently from your special warfare recruiter? I'm about three hours, three and a half. That's the closest? Yes. Are you in the Midwest? I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. You know, that makes sense. So, what I do is get with the recruiter and see what his schedule is like. Hey, how often? Are you ever making, because Knoxville is a major city. So I know when I covered an area like that, you know, once a month, I would go out to, if I was there, I would go out to Knoxville and meet all of my people in Knoxville and run them through a development session. And then travel to another major city and do that. If you haven't already spoken, I assume you have, but if you haven't already spoken to your special warfare recruiter, I would ask him specifically like, hey, I'm willing to travel if I have to, but do you have something with your developer or with other people in development where I can actually train, you know, in the meantime? Sergeant Rosa, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I, I want to add to that. So, so there are, you can still, even if you're interested in special warfare and Air Force, you can still work with a regular recruiter, right? It's just with that regular recruiter, you may have to open up uh, in regards to being interested in other career fields. But at the end of the day, you can still work with that local recruiter where you can get the ball rolling of, uh, you know, for, for maps and paperwork and admin and all that. And then, um, but you still want to be in contact with that special warfare recruiter. So you can, you can start working out ahead of time too. And, and so that special warfare recruiter knows, Hey, once you step in, um, you're going to be transferred over to that, that, that recruiter. So, but for like the beginning phases of recruiting, you can work with that local regular recruiter. It, it, because if you're three hours away, but you have a recruiter that's maybe 20 minutes from you, you can work with that recruiter. You just have to have that communication with that local recruiter, telling him what are your, what's your interest in regards to, you know, of course you want to you go special warfare, but you may have to open up a little bit on other careers for that recruiter to, to help you
2: out. Appreciate that. We got Connor Matthews back in here. For those that are just joining us a little bit later, Connor Matthews is a former combat controller. He's a pro MMA fighter, and he's sponsored by Air Force Special Warfare. And we talked a little bit about the SWOE UV program earlier. And again, preference is a big factor. So you guys, if you like a certain career field, you will have some choice in it if you are a top performer. So I want to bring Connor on here uh, to talk a little bit about some of the differences he knows between combat control and pararescue from an operational perspective and a personality perspective. So you guys can kind of know what these instructors are looking for, to choose in uh, for what career field may be best for you.
0: So a couple of things like before you guys pick, pick the career fields, and I'm not sure what the standard is. And I know when I was going through a lot of guys uh, would, Pick different career fields because they seemed like it was easier. Like they'd go for special reconnaissance because the standards weren't as high as like a combat controller or a PJ or say thing for PJ or a combat controller. Like the swim time is slower, so they would go for combat controller instead of go for PJ. I just like to say before like you guys are picking your jobs, don't let that make that have a be a reason why you're picking a career field. You should pick a career field because you actually are really interested in the job itself. You know, if you want to be, if you're really into medical, then maybe a PJ be a really good into into uh, like like um aircrafts or um you know aircraft control. maybe you want to be a combat controller so that's just a couple things are um i'm not sure what's going on with the special reconnaissance yes but i'm guessing there's a lot of like, you know recon sniper type stuff um so if you're really into that kind of thing you know maybe that's where you you strive to do those jobs um personality wise i mean yeah there's a lot there's definitely you know there's always kind of a different uh vibe from a combat controller compared to a to a pj um from my experience um yeah just 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 kind of like uh pjs i mean pjs are uh, more likely they you know they're they're medical so they really want to help people so that's like they really want to risk their lives to go out there and save people and that takes a special kind of person you know who's really you know put it on the, put it all on the line to go out there and, and like know they're willing to save somebody and give up their life for somebody else and i mean not to say that combat controllers are not going out there and fighting in the battle but i mean it's just a different just different mindset so yeah, great, exactly. great
2: point, Connor. And, and you know, you, it's like you can't necessarily, as an instructor, take every PJ uh, candidate and say, "Okay, like this person is aggressive and they're gung ho, and we think that." You know, they're they're gonna be solid on a radio, so we're gonna put them into combat control whether they like it or not. Like you will have preference, right? And there are gonna be controllers out there that love to help people and they're into medicine, but they wanna be a combat controller first and foremost. And the same goes with PJs. There's gonna be PJs that love to run and gun, they're gonna be aggressive, they're gonna be alpha type males, as all operators are. But they still want to be a PJ. So just because you have some type of particular personality doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to be great at a career field in particular. But if you don't know what career field that you want to do, then absolutely that program will help drive you to the pro to the career field that suits your personality, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yep. So, exactly. Chase and I got a question for uh, the recruiters.
2: Go yeah. Go ahead, Zach.
1: So, in the SWOV program. At the end of it, we're getting selected for, and we're, we've been talking about preference, but what if we want to be
0: a paramedic, and we're already a nationally registered paramedic? Do we get any preference over
3: other people or is it still the same? At the end of the day, man, you, you're going to aim for what you want to aim for, right? If it's being a PJ, then you're going to aim to be a PJ. Now, if you don't get selected, then you're probably not going to get selected, right? So, so. I think what what SWOE does it gives you that option to say hey if I don't get selected maybe I have other options within the special warfare uh, realm instead of just getting that I just went for PJ and now I didn't get selected to be a PJ now I'm obligated to go uh regular air force right so um but I imagine you know like anything man they're going to they're going to look at your experience they're going to look at your passions you know, um, I knew when when I joined. You know, I I went with I went in with the general aptitude when I joined the Air Force, and I ended up being a firefighter. But one of the reasons I became a firefighter was I had certain certain levels of experience, um, and and certain certificates that when I went to basic training, they they racked and stacked all of all of the general aptitude people, and 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 I was probably on the top of that stack because of that experience. So something similar maybe something that they're, they're, that they're looking into, but, um, but just keep in mind, man, if, you know, if you want to be a PJ, then you gotta, you gotta fight for it. And that's, that's really what it comes down to, but definitely there's going to be some influence. I mean, I got guys right now that went to med school that uh, have bachelor's master's degrees, you know, um, a lot of guys come in with paramedic experience. So those are things that are, that are probably going to be put on the table, but, um, But, you know, you just gotta go for it, man, if that's your calling.
2: If you're a top performer, you're gonna have that preference, right? And whenever you go into the pipeline with that paramedic, um, that National Register Paramedic, you will actually be able to clep that portion of the pipeline, if you have that question. So Mm -hmm. back to you, Sergeant Spencer.
1: I I, I don't want guys to say, okay, I'm gonna dedicate my time to that, get that, and then meet a recruiter. And then you get to special warfare prep and you meet a combat controller, and you realize or a special reconnaissance of your tech P and realize wow that is a mission I want to do is it going to hurt you having that paramedic certification never it's never hurting yourself you know making yourself a better person but do not think that that is the only uh, like that's a way to game the system I'd rather prefer someone goes in you know with an open mind. They're looking at your physical ability. They're looking at your psych evaluations. They're looking you, looking at you as a whole, as a whole person. I would really just dive fully into the program, and uh, and if you have something in mind, just like everyone has said, if you're a top performer and you want to be a PJ, you know you're you're it's it's highly likely you're going to be a PJ. So everyone should already come in, you know, with that mindset. But again, overall, you should be knowing you wanna be part of special warfare, period. because each one of these mission sets are important and there's a lot of cross in between these career, career fields, especially with uh, even further with joint efforts. So keep an open mind with, with this stuff. Don't think there's anything that you need to do besides what we outlined today uh, to, to game getting your, yourself a pararescue slot or CCT slot other than being a top performer. If you wanna game the system, that's how you game the system. Be one of the top dudes there. Period. Uh evening, gentlemen. How y'all doing?
2: Doing good. Outstanding. Jeremy.
1: Just got off shift. Happy to be home. Um, a question for y'all. So, everyone always specifies.
3: You know, you want to be a stud when you go to selection, etc. Um, from you, gentlemen that have experience, what would you recommend for someone to develop mentally? You know, how, how would you recommend prepping yourself mentally for a selection aside from being a beast and what books would you recommend reading just for self-development?
2: Connor, you, you want to go first or you want me to go first?
0: Uh, You can go first, Jason. And then uh, add on.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, So let's touch on the books first. Uh, I just got two that come to mind, a combat controller book and uh, a PJ book. For the PJ book, Roger Sparks just wrote a book called The Warrior's Creed. Roger Sparks was the guest speaker at my pararescue graduation. He was on a mission during Operation Bulldog Bite in northern Afghanistan that is one of, if not the most intense pararescue mission I have ever heard of. He writes his account on his life. He was a former recon Marine, a former Marine recon instructor as well. Uh, and then went into pararescue later on in his life. So that's called The Warrior's Creed. Pretty awesome book. And then as far as combat control goes, you got to read Alone at Dawn by Dan Schilling about John Chapman. I mean, it doesn't matter what career field you want to go into. Like, John Chapman is the man. So read about John Chapman. Um, and what was your other question? Um, was it was it mentally preparation for, yes. um, yep. for selection? As far as mental preparation, I think that You know, like you either got it or you don't, you know, like there's certain things in life that can bring grit out of you and can bring selflessness out of you and that mental toughness, but you either have it or you don't. So really getting yourself prepared for it is that you know that whatever you are doing In your training, you are preparing for the worst day of somebody's life downrange. No matter what you're doing, obviously you're training for selection, but you're training for the battlefield. And whenever you're on a mission, typically everything is going wrong. As a PJ, you're going on a mission because somebody is having the worst day of their life, they're injured, and you have to be able to perform at your best in that moment. So my motivation and my advice for mental toughness is that every single repetition that you do, you do it. With creativity and with imagination, putting yourself in the place of where you're going to be in the future on the battlefield, because the work that you put in now will directly dictate how you perform on the battlefield. Connor, anything that you want to add as far as mental toughness or books or anything?
0: Now, Jason, you kind of hit the nail on the head. But um, yeah, a couple of things that kind of kind of got me through is um, when you actually get into the pipeline is people kind of get anxiety by listening to other people around them and not focusing in on themselves. I want, or not even that, or focusing on the next event or the next day or the week to come. The biggest thing I can say for mental toughness, and I do this today when I'm doing any sort of training for for fighting or anything like that, is I worry about what I'm doing in that moment. So if you worry about getting your best rep, and this pull-up, just one rep at a time, it's really focusing on not the freaking nine other pull-ups you got to do after that. Or if you're running a lap around the track, you work on just doing that one lap around the track. You don't worry about, you know, the 12 other laps you're going to do. That's something that's kind of got me through is just focus on what you're doing and, and, and just kind of go into that moment as much as possible. Because everything else is just anxiety and you start getting, uh, defeating yourself in your head before you even try to even got there.
2: Um, what, a, what a great point. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's,
0: that's for books. Yeah. I was just going to say alone at dawn. I got it right here. Um, It's a great book. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, like Jason did say, it's another thing is like, it's either you got it or you don't. And people, I'm telling you, people quit, not because what's killing them at that moment. They quit because they're just, it's, it's, it's anxiety. It's things that made up in their head that didn't even happen yet. And they just break down. Just, if you, if you really just worry about that, if you just worry about what you're doing and being a good teammate, It's going to get you a long way. And that's another thing. While you're going through the pipeline is just being a really good teammate, um, worrying, uh, helping out your guys. Don't be one of those guys when you guys are going through that, you know, yelling at their team because they're, you know, something happens. The pipeline is designed to make teams fail and they want to see how you react after you guys can't accomplish a goal or can't accomplish something and how you uh, re-attack the problem. That's what they want to see. So they want to see who can, you know, rise up and perform at those level at that, at that time. So, The best thing to do is be a good teammate and have a positive attitude and you'll and you'll have success in the pipeline for sure
2: connor Graves gave some great wisdom there and the number one thing you said is be a great teammate that's what the instructors are looking for first and foremost because these instructors may work with you in the future i can't tell you how many instructors that i had throughout the pipeline that i ended up working with in the future so they're going to be analyzing you constantly and saying is this somebody that i can work with is this somebody that i can trust On the battlefield and to touch on another thing that Connor said as far as breaking things down individually and not thinking about everything that's in front of you. I call that segmenting right so you segment things so you say all right, I just got this one next repetition that I have to do or all I got to do is get through this run and then I got lunch. All I got to get through is this next swim evolution and then I'm going to get on the bus home and I'm going to be done with the day hell week only lasts a week, right? All of these types of things, we know that there is some type of end to it. And that's hope. My definition of hope is our faith that there's going to be an end to suffering. And hope is what gets you through the pipeline, right? Any other questions? Go ahead, Andrew. How you doing?
3: I'm good. How are you doing, sir?
2: I'm doing good. How are you feeling?
3: A little bit better. I have RSV, so I'm getting better from it.
2: I'm glad you're feeling better, buddy. What's your question?
1: Um, so for like someone who doesn't have a lot of swim experience, would it be recommended to like jump in the pool before enlistment considering that they have like special warfare prep now or, uh, like would they, or should I like start the enlistment process beforehand?
2: Andrew, I think that's the kind of the point of the delayed entry program that we discussed earlier is that they're not just going to send you out until you're passing that pass test. And while you're in that delayed entry program, they're going to be able to analyze if you have swimming weaknesses. That's why you have those T3I developers. I think Sergeant Spencer or Sergeant Rosa can touch on that more if they want to, but I think that answers the question is absolutely get in the pool, and then you're going to continue to learn and work on that pass test evolution for the 500-meter swim in the 25-yard underwaters before you actually ship out. I mean, you have to pass that pass test two consecutive times right. before you ship out, right? So right okay thank you question andrew
3: yeah Yeah, thanks i'll add a little bit um yeah man the sooner the better man get with a recruiter get with a special warfare recruiter the sooner the better um like i said you can start working out with with in in certain areas you can start working out even while you're in the process of of uh of joining so um you don't want to wait you know because anything can happen man you know sometimes time is is the worst enemy
2: Okay, team, that's it. Um, we'll go around the horn. Uh, Sergeant Spencer, anything that you want to tell everyone, parting words, anything before uh, we get off here?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, thank you guys all for the questions, guys and girls. Thank you for the chats. I'll definitely look through them really quick. Um, big thing is if you want to pursue this, uh, I get a lot of people who say, hey, well, you know, maybe I'll just pursue this at some other point. There was something that made you come to Jason. There's something that made you call a recruiter. There's something that made you go to the Air Force website, whether it's your current job, it's your current living situation, your current car situation, whatever it is. I highly doubt many of you are going to just join the Air Force as a regular job, get your first brand new car, your first apartment, your life is is beautiful, and you're going to throw that all away to go through two years of a very tough pipeline. It doesn't happen very often. It happens, but not very often. If you want to pursue this, find your recruiter as soon as possible. Go to airforce.com, find a recruiter. Google Air Force recruiter near me. It will take you to the Air Force website. Even if you are stubborn and you're like, nope, I want to train. I want to be super hard for the next six months or a year. You know, that's that's your MO. That's fine. But I'm telling you, reach out to a recruiter as soon as possible. Even if it's not special warfare, if you do reach out to a regular recruiter and just say, hey, I only want a pre-qualification, it takes two minutes over the phone to do. Um, If you guys do, I've said it in the chat a few times, if you do have some questions you wanna ask or you were too shy to go on video today for whatever reason, feel free to find me on uh, Instagram, tampa.airforspectwar.recruiter and send me a DM. I answer every single person, uh, whatever questions they have. That's all I got.
2: Thanks, Sergeant Spencer. Great having you on tonight. And thank you very much for your time. Sergeant Rosa.
3: Yeah. So, so one thing, um, just keep in mind guys, like I know a lot of you guys are interested in special warfare, uh, combat support careers, but the reality is there's no career. That's a guarantee. Right. So you have to, even if it's a regular air force career, you have to go through what we call a technical school. You still have to pass basic. You still have to do certain things to actually get that title right and one of the first titles you have to do is is become an airman and then after becoming an airman is that career so so just keep that in mind always have that in mind so if you're if you're leaning towards special warfare then that's kind of the mentality you have to you have to take you have to take that those steps first you know let me train as hard as I can let me develop let me go to basic training let me become an airman right don't overlook basic training either I've had candidates that have gotten berets and a lot of them say, Hey, the hardest time I had was basic training. So um, don't overlook certain things, but just, just keep in mind, everything is, is earned. Right. And, and that's one thing in the Air Force, every job, every career is earned. Um, you know, of course there's certain levels of difficulty, right. But just, just keep that in mind. So um, other than that, you can follow my Instagram. Um, I'll put it here. I have horrible handwriting, but it's uh air force underscore spec war underscore south florida underscore pr which stands for puerto rico so like i said i covers south florida puerto rico and virgin islands um if you have any questions definitely um you know you can contact me there or jason could probably give you my cell phone and uh, we can talk thank you jason for for your invite man this is awesome we should do this more often
2: Hey, thanks for your time, Sergeant Rosa. And uh, Sergeant Rosa and I go way, way back. So it's always good to see you, my man. Thanks for coming yeah,
3: on tonight. Same here, Jason. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you.
2: Connor Matthews, you got anything for us, brother? Any farewell words? Any parting words?
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, so if you guys are going to go, like I said earlier, if you guys are thinking about, you know, going for the special warfare career field, it's uh, it's really, uh, I think, like, like, it's really worth it. I think you, you really... I for me, I got a ton out of it i only I only did six years and I decided to split and I really uh it's really been a, like a life change. I learned a lot about myself. um it's maybe a way better person so if you guys are looking for something like that, I definitely recommend it. um if you guys have any other questions you know if you want to talk to me individually, just follow me on on my Instagram message me and just say, hey, I was in that chat and I just want to talk to you and I will I'll make some time for you tomorrow and i'll then I'll talk to you guys directly one on one via like either Instagram uh, chat or something like that so just let me know, let me go as you want to. And my, uh, my Instagram is, uh, the controller MMA. All right. So yeah, just follow me on that. Appreciate it guys. Thank you guys. Thanks for inviting me on. And thank you all you guys in and, and good luck. If you guys actually end up going, uh, going through with everything. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks for coming on tonight, Connor. You're the man. I'll talk to you soon, brother. All right, team. That concludes the video group chat for tonight. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you took good notes and got something out of it. Join us tomorrow night for our video chat with uh, Seal Team 2 member Aaron, my good friend. It'll be a great time. We'll be going over questions as well. You Thank
1: you. Up. Down. Up. up, up. up down.